You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What is up, everybody? My name is Kyle Matovic. I am the host of the In Liberty and Health podcast where we talk all things liberty, health and wellness, and beyond. My hope is to encourage and spread the message of liberty and physical and mental well-being. I hope you enjoy all the topics we talk about with our guests. We're on all major streaming platforms, so please sit back, relax, and enjoy. Man, I'm doing as good as anyone can do getting buried by his 13-year-old son on leg day. <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for not being on this podcast because I got to go see Metallica, so... If that's a problem, kiss my ass. I okay. am. <laughs> All right, we are live. It looks like Facebook's not working, but that's perfectly okay. I really don't give a shit. Um, this is In Liberty and Health, episode 121, and I got a couple of... guess with me it's a topic that um has always kind of fascinated me and the psychology surrounding it and kind of all the stuff that goes into it and how malevolent it can really be so uh today with me i got let me make sure i can do this right i'm like an idiot when it comes to stream yard <laughs> garbage main and uh kate crosby returning to the show uh how you guys doing doing well thanks for having me you can call me andy by the way andy all right andy <laughs> And I'm good. Glad to be back on. Of course. No, it's awesome to have you back. Um, so uh, I guess the way I kind of wanted to start this conversation is uh, kind of give my experience of what I know and kind of what I've been through in my life. So um, and me just going through this isn't condemning anyone in specific, but uh, just to kind of give a layout of what I kind of think. And then we can kind of go from here. I um, want names. <laughs> my my grandfather was divorced three times and some of it was i'm sure his fault to a degree and um my dad's been married once my mom and dad were never married but they split up when i was relatively young and um i listened to a lot of guys in the manosphere right the red pill world not like the politically red pill but more like the dating relationship kind of red pill stuff so um 
it kind of gave me a perspective on marriage that perhaps isn't good in family court, obviously. And the one quote that I always go back to is that a divorce and alimony always seems to be a uh, being drugged behind a truck on fire. And it only stops when she says it stops. So now um, I'm kind of glad that Kate's here because she can kind of give her perspective on things. But it definitely seems like there's a female bias and not that I necessarily think know that there is but um from everything that i've learned and seen and kind of read into that kind of seems to be the lay of the land but um i guess let's start with uh, andy first uh what's your kind of history with family court and um yeah i guess just kind of detail your experience with it um well i've got a five-year-old daughter um you know i her her mom got pregnant and it was kind of just like a, a fling kind of deal. And uh, how much time we got? <laughs> but no, <laughs> uh, she got pregnant. We tried to have an abortion. Thank God it didn't work. Um, I went with her to the, the baby killing factory and we split the cost of the, the expensive pill. And I watched her take it and I'm so glad it didn't work. So let me preface with that. Um, but throughout that process of her being pregnant, we ended up getting together and I took a job working as a garbage man, got my CDL and was like trying to do everything right. Got us a place to live, a two bedroom duplex and stuff. Um, she signed the lease and then never moved in. She took off, left the state with our daughter when she was six months old. Um, I didn't know what my options were as far as like custodial rights or anything like that, but I wanted to see my daughter. I wanted to be a part of my daughter's life. You know, that is like my biggest fear is having a kid growing up, not knowing who I am, if it's my kid. Um, I went to the court there. It was like a long, drawn out year and a half process. Um, they pretty much judge told me, you know, there was one point in the courtroom where he said, you know, we're not hearing your case today, even though we subpoenaed all your character witnesses, um, because we got all these other people in this courtroom. So uh, figure it out. And they slapped me with 800 bucks a month in child support and said, if you want to buy, you want to see your daughter, you're going to have to buy plane tickets each month on top of that. And mm. that eventually got old and I took everything I had and sold what I could and put all my shit in a U-Haul and came down here to Texas. So I've been here three, almost three years, maybe three years. So. My God, so that's kind yeah. of my experience with the family court. So, um, I guess, um, and I don't want Kate to think that we're hammering women here because I'm sure that she has a, a lot to um, probably fire back about. But, um, uh, so has your experience kind of been that the court seemed to favor the mother more than the father? Um, I mean, yeah, but I've done some research on this. It tends to be surprisingly enough, blue states actually do better about uh joint custody at least from birth um part of my situation and baby mama and i get along fine now we we try to do the co-parent thing as best we can and it's not it's gotten better over time mm -hmm. but um my experience with it was since i was never married and i didn't have anything filed with the court already they pretty much said she could leave the state with her if she wants she's got full custodial rights so as it stands right now in Texas, it's probably not the greatest idea, but thankfully I don't have anything in the court system, but I get to see my daughter every weekend and we just kind of have a, a mutual agreement 
and that kind of works out. But, you know, there is still a looming fear over my head. You know, if something was to happen, if she would have pick up and leave the state again, I would be right back at square one. So. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, that's it's it's kind of crazy to think that um, shit like that can just happen where you could be separated and the state will essentially make sure that you're like out of the life. Right. Um, so I, I don't want to um, kind of dwell on this too much without, you know, giving Kate a chance to uh, speak. So, uh, Kate, what has been your experience with a family court? Because you were the one that kind of pitched this idea to me. So I'm, I'm really interested in hearing your thoughts surrounding what you've been through and, um, you know, just kind of your experience with the courts. Um, yeah, well, I thought it would be a great idea because I heard Andy uh, on the Libertarian Podcast Review mentioning, you know, kind of his things with the uh, family court. And it's really a story I've heard from too many people. Like, that was my whole big thing when I got into the Libertarian Party is like the Libertarian Party was the party that seemed to be like the only one about parental rights and like people being able to raise their children. But I, my experience with family court has been horrendous, horrible. Um, and, but I do understand Andy's point to most of the time there is a bias towards women in my situation. I feel like the court just like looks for the most like traumatizing way, like to, to affect the children rather than the best interest. It's like, how can we traumatize these kids the worst, make sure that, you know, we get as much money as we can from whoever. And then, you know, they just sit back and profit off it. And they like these high conflict cases because, well, then you just keep coming back and keep filing through the court system. Like they're not like, they have no incentive to give me my child back when I, when they know I'm just going to keep filing and paying all this money to the state, you know, in order to fight for him. So I've been fighting for over seven years now for my 11 year old son. Um, like we talked about on the last episode I was on, uh, I did have a stint in jail, you know? So Obviously, while I was incarcerated, my son went to live with his grandparents um, and the incident where I ended up being incarcerated happened the night of his father's funeral. So that's why he didn't go to live with his dad because his dad was already deceased. And at least in my state, um, even when one parent is deceased, that opens up like a whole bunch of grandparents rights. Um, So that was how they kind of came in. But a lot of what happened like doesn't make sense doesn't seem like it's legal definitely seems unconstitutional um but like we they filed through a county that neither of us lived in you know like weird things like that like the child wasn't a resident of the county yet somehow this judge signed this order and like like andy was saying like i've gone into court several times and the judge just flat out says uh we're not having a trial today uh both lawyers in the chambers decision is just made and that's the biggest problem is that it's like this this huge decision is made by one person like the judge there's no jury there's no you know anybody else deciding or looking over the evidence and a lot of the times it doesn't even take evidence it's it's hearsay it's you know somebody put on an affidavit all of these allegations never had to prove a single thing and the judges just you know decides whatever way he wants and there's no repercussions because they all have all the immunity in the world. Hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, and I'm currently in custody litigation uh, right now for the fifth, fifth time, I think, maybe sixth time. I've hired like four different lawyers. 
uh, you know, like, like Andy was saying, you sell everything that you can to just keep fighting this. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, uh, what the court will like put you through and my child as well. Like he's drug into this, he's brought into, you know, talking the judges chambers or whatever. And it's like, I don't know me and Ad, me, his dad's name is Adam. Uh, but me and Adam never had a custody agreement. We never had gone to court or filed for any of like child support. We didn't do any of that. We just got along, came to an agreement amongst ourselves. And I, I highly recommend to anybody that like has to deal with anything. It's just to do that. Don't go into the court system. It's just going to cause even more like fighting between the parents. You know, I feel like, I feel like they like find ways to just make people hate each other through the system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I had um, listened to that We the Parents podcast that you had recommended me to listen to. And the kind of theme that I'm seeing over and over again is that it seems to kind of be like a self-licking ice cream cone where essentially <laughs> they will do everything they can to drag out these cases as long as possible to get every single freaking dime out of you. Because it, it's, it's so malevolent to think that they will literally weaponize children. Like people talk about relationships being weaponized. <laughs> Sorry, my, my dog's freaking out in the background. Um. But uh, it's so malevolent because you hear about people using their kids as a weapon against the other parent. But I don't think you hear people talk about enough is that courts literally use children essentially as a weapon because they know that you guys want your kids. You want access to your children. I mean, you know, if you're a parent, of course, that's what you want. So they're going to do anything they can to extend and draw the case out as long as possible. So that way they can keep getting a paycheck because, you know, if there's no um boogeyman that nobody gets paid um andy has that kind of been a similar experience for you that they'll kind of drag it out forever and ever yeah i mean i i did not go through it nearly as long as you've gone through it kate so i can't speak to it i uh to that level but definitely and it, but there almost seems to be um it, it's like a level of bureaucracy right where this is what's happening they won't ever admit to it because they're saying, you know, this is the bureaucratic process we have to go through. And, you know, there, there's revolving doors of judges and, and lawyers and things like that. When I first got my first legal consulta consultation, um, my lawyer straight up told me, she's like, no one wins in this except for me and the judge. Like, you, I get that you want to see your kid, but the people who win in this are lawyers and judges. It ain't the kids and it ain't going to be you or her. But... So that's kind of been my experience. And I was glad that she kind of uh, told me straight out the gate, like what it was going to be. Mm -hmm. Cool. Good Lord. So my friend Amanda here, I'll pop this comment here. Uh, son's dad makes over 200000 a year, never spent time, owes me over $35,000 in child support. System is crap and he does nothing and neither do the courts. Um, yeah, I couldn't imagine. And see, that seems to be the other thing. Um, if two people agree to pay child support. Look, I'm against child support, but um, you know, if you enter this kind of agreement and then you kind of back out, it does seem like the recourse is pretty like gray, but at the same time, I've also heard stories of people going to jail and then they're just completely stuck in the hole over child support. Um, yeah. I don't know if you guys know anything more perhaps uh, on that kind of line. Kate, I'll let you take it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I think my, my issue with uh, child support 
is I think it should be like a voluntary agreement amongst two parents uh, rather than having the state come in because the state's solution to a lot of this is, oh, they're not paying child support. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that person's driver's license. I'm going to put them in jail. And it's like, okay, well, now they definitely can't pay their child support if they're not able to get to work and they're locked in a cage, you know? So it's like, so it's just, it doesn't make any sense the way the state mm -hmm. thinks it should be handled. Um, and then another thing is, it's a racket. So uh, the, the court only wants as much child support as possible to be paid because they make money off of that in, you know, federal, uh, like, ta like tax money. So like they get a, a federal fund match. Uh, it's like Title 40 funding, uh, 66 cents on the dollar. And Pennsylvania is like one of the like highest collectors of child support. Like, so we get, you know, the more the state collects, the more they get from federal tax money to match that. And it's like, of course, they have this incentive to like, you know, rake parents over the coals to pay for it, which I'm not saying that people shouldn't, you know, take care of their children or help if they need to. But at the same time, like one of the factors that goes into like deciding who gets custody is like who, uh, you know, is better suited to financially support the child and stuff like that. So, um I think I think we need to go more of like a 50-50 approach where no one's paying child support and you're each seeing the child, you know, the same amount. So I think that would alleviate a lot more issues than what child support causes. Mm -hmm. So, um, oh, Andy, do you have something to add? Well, I was going to say that the, the way the child support system is set up is in a lot of places, it's not based on out-of-pocket costs. It's based on if your wages are up here and the mm -hmm. other person's wages are down here, they try to equalize them. It's not really based on like uh, what it would actually cost to raise a child. It's like the cost of adding a room or adding a car note um, instead of like buying a car seat or redecorating a room you already have to be a kid's room. So, and it really forces the parents into more conflict where you're, you know, you're concerned about how much money the other person is making when the focus should be on, you know, doing the best job for your kid. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Right. And I guess that kind of goes back to the theme I was kind of hitting on earlier is where it's basically weaponizing your children against or, you know, using children as a weapon to get you to comply with court orders and uh, to kind of get them. To just using your own desires basically against you. Um, so the one other thing that I had heard that seemed kind of interesting and like it almost shouldn't be allowed was that uh, there were uh, judges and lawyers kind of meeting behind closed doors in some of these uh, court cases. And it seems like some of the judges have strong inherent biases against certain people um, in certain cases. Uh, Andy, I guess I'll let you go first. Um, did it feel like you were getting pressed that way? It kind of seemed like what you were alluding to earlier when they kind of told you like you're fucked out of the gate. It seemed like you kind of felt that way. Well, my lawyer was actually like very aggressive, which I'm thankful for. Mm -hmm. um, but I, in my personal case, I didn't experience that bias other than what was like the legal bias that already existed. Um, but I have heard of, you know, such and such family member is a judge or connected to the court system. And so they get favor. Um, but also like the lawyers and judges, judges can step down from family court and go right into family law and be, a, you know, it's like a revolving door. They can work for a practice and 
be off the bench and be on the bench, like back and forth. So mm-hmm. their, their interests don't really align with the child's or the parents. Mm. Kate. When I think too, you add in like guardian at litems and stuff where that's like a, a lawyer that's supposed to be representing the child, but that rarely ends up being the case. So, and like uh, the court picks that lawyer, but then like the parents have to pay for that lawyer. So it's like you have no say in what lawyer gets selected for your child. So it's whatever the judge decides. And you don't, there's, there's so many cases and stories that you'll hear of like all of these very corrupt guardian at litems judges who are like having these back end deals, you know, we're like, oh, well, I'll send this person your way if you give me this. And then we just keep passing these children around and requiring them to go to more and more, you know, court ordered things that are, are making their friends money. And I'm sure they're, they're getting a cut, you know, like, it's there's so many cases of that and like it's been exposed and yet still nothing nothing seems to happen though because like i said before like they have even more immunity than cops do so it's like what do you do like what are you gonna file a complaint against the judge or the lawyer so then now you're just really screwed the next time you go to court like because now they're all they all know they're all friends and they're like oh well you know she'll write bad reviews about you like we'll just take her kid like they think it's nothing yeah, it's it really kind of does pose the question of like, what the hell do you do when you're going up against somebody like that? It's kind of like when you hear about these uh, cop killings and or the cops killing people, and then you know their department says they're going to investigate this cop, and then surprise, surprise, they don't find anything wrong. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? File a uh, complaint against the judge, and then the judge is going to review his own complaint. Do you, do you really think he's going to say, "Oh, well, you know, I really fucked this one up"? No, it's not likely to happen. So. Um, the incentives seem to be so ass backwards where there's literally no reason for the judges to kind of make things go in a more expedient manner where it's, Hey, let's just try to figure this out and get them out of here. It it literally seems like we have to have a boogeyman here. So that way everybody gets their wallets padded. Mm -hmm. I think in some cases it's getting better. Uh, I think. Oh, I was just gonna say. I think in some cases it's getting better. It seems like more often they want to se- want to send to mediation, but in Kate's case, with dealing with grandparents, that's probably a whole nother ordeal. You don't have both parents there, so you can't really. I don't know how you would manage like a a mediation or a mediated agreement. Mm-hmm. Well, you still go to mediation. Like that's the thing. It's like even if the court knows clearly, they know. In my case, that we're not coming to an agreement on our own. Like this is a long, drawn out process. You, uh, sorry to interrupt, but can you guys elaborate what uh, going to mediation is? I'm sorry, I have I'm not familiar with that term. Do you want me to go? Or... <laughs> okay, so um, so like me, whenever you file for custody or whatever, like there's like a bus all these steps and all these processes you have to go through before you get in front of the judge, before you take it to trial. So first, you know, you file your paperwork saying, I want this, this, and this. And then they will say, okay, well, you're going to go to mediation in front of this other lawyer. And so you'll go in front of that lawyer and you'll just sit, you know, you, the other party, parent, whatever, and then that lawyer, and they'll try and come to an agreement without having to take it to trial. So, uh, you do that twice usually and then you go in front of the judge for like a, a med- another mediation in front of the judge where they're like are you sure that you can't come to an agreement 
and this, you know, so this whole process, this takes months and months and months, if not years. Um, you know, in my case, like I filed and then it's like, okay, you'll get your first mediation and maybe three, four months down the road. Then you go to that one. And then it's another four months till the next one. And then it's another four months until the next one. And then it's another, however many months until you finally get in front of the judge. And it's just, it's so much, it's such a waste of time. A waste of money too because you know you're paying your lawyer to show up to all of these things that you know are going to be five minutes and you're not going to get anything done and it's just so pointless and there's no way to like skip that like you know in criminal court you can like you know waive your preliminary hearing or whatever like you can't waive anything in family court <laughs> you just have to keep going through this every single time so yeah if you waive a mediation <laughs> if you waive a mediation you're you're very likely not going to get any custodial rights. Um, and, and, you know, the speaking to the process of how long it takes, you know, if, if you don't have custody and in my case, you know, my daughter was out of state. Um, and so you're going through this whole time with your heart kind of ripped out of your chest, like wondering what's going on with your kid, what's happening. You know, sometimes it's limited to no communication with your kid and, and that can be psychologically just, tough to deal with and trying to go forward and like stay focused and, and not, you know, let it wear you down is tough too. Well, and then they'll use that against you in court too. Like, Oh, you're emotional. You must have some mental disorder or something. And it's like, well, yeah, like you took my kid from me. I am going to be emotional about that. Like, it's like, they can't put themselves in like the shoes of the parent. Like, okay, judge, how would you feel? You know, like you expect me to just sit here like, stone-faced with no reaction while people like slander and lie about me or something you know and you rip my child away from me and just expect me oh we'll just sit tight and wait and eventually you know the government will decide when you get to see your children and and I have other like well I have another child and I'm you know pregnant with my third child right now and it's like wait a minute so I can I can have a two-year-old but my 11-year-old can't you know come live with me because why like it it's just, it's so backwards and it, it makes no sense. It really seems like the process really complements just being drug out as much as possible. I'm, I'm surprised I never heard about people going through mediation. So it, it literally seems like the mediation process is just to try and get you to comply without having to go before a judge and get a lawyer. lawyer and kind of try to get you to comply with whatever we want. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there is parts of it that can be useful. Um, like if you're working on like a parenting schedule or something like that, and that's something you want to do, I'd say it's better to settle in mediation than it is to go to trial because that puts your kids through a lot and it puts you through a lot. Um, so, I mean, it, it has its pros and cons, but it's, state mandated so you know you're sitting there with tensions high your emotions are high and you're trying to work through a mediation with people who don't give a shit about you or your kids mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. exactly and i feel like that's the worst part it's like you know these people just don't care at all they they, they just like look at you like dollar bill signs mm -hmm. yeah that's it's truly bizarre to think about because it should be a process where um, 
if you're in a situation like that, clearly nobody's happy, right? So especially like penalizing people for being emotional. Well, fuck yeah, people are going to be pissed off. You're trying to fucking rip their kids away. Like, <laughs> this is what we're designed to do. We're designed to have kids and then raise kids. And then you're wondering why people are pissed off when you're telling them, well, you may not see your kids if you keep acting like this. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah last I checked too, there's about 20 million single parent homes in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So, and it's growing. It's getting bigger and bigger. That sounds like a dramatic underestimate at, to, to me, and maybe I'm wrong, but uh, I, it probably is. Um, I've got a few notes here that 3.3 uh, million of those uh, almost 20 million are with the custodial father. Mm -hmm. So it, that kind of shows you the, the imbalance. I know it's not always the case, um, but that and state laws, state custody laws are different from state to state. And they're changing all the time. So, all right. Um, so one person I listen to a lot is uh, Dr. Warren Farrell, and he's a little bit, uh, how do I put it for a lack of a better word? Uh, I think a little bit naive when it comes to some things because his solution always seems to be, well, we need to basically cultivate a culture that's going to allow men to stay at home more often, which I think is just silly. Like, I, I don't think that's going to be an acceptable thing. And I don't think men are necessarily designed to be at home and not be at work. And maybe there's some guys that are exceptions to the rule, sure. But overall, I don't think you're going to remove the stigma of men, you know, being out working versus um, staying home. Um, the one thing that he seemed to suggest a lot was that um, the thing that's optimal for kids is for the parents to live about 20 minutes away from each other so that way they don't have to miss major events and to split the parenting 50-50, um, which it seems like you guys are kind of in agreement with. So um, I guess, Andy, you could kind of take it anywhere from there and your thoughts surrounding that. Well, I definitely think there needs to be a culture change. Um, I would say, um, you know, vetting partners is really good you should do that you know you kind of learn that at, you know sometimes you got to make that uh decision after the fact but you know just vetting and trying to if you want to establish a family you know there's not a lot of good teachers out there that are saying hey if you want to have any modicum of success or like self-worth like to go about having a family and a child go about it this way and and there's more of them now. Some of them are grifters, but uh, I think mm -hmm. that is like the more important part of the culture aspect to me is just like having men and women be together that want to be together and not just being together to like feel liberated or whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, Kate. No, I agree. Um, I think that uh, our culture right now kind of like, glorifies this whole like little bit thing and, and I think it's obviously uh in my situation uh my older son he he lost his father so like when I, I get so angry a lot of the times when I see these like spike vengeful mothers that just you know want to keep the father away for just no no good reason you know um or 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 personal reasons between them that have nothing to do with the child so if if maybe as just a whole entire society and culture we could like just start realizing the importance of both parents. And I think uh, even like within, you know, the family law activist community, there's a lot of father's rights and uh, a lot of mothers that are just all about child support and keeping the fathers away. And it's like, 
we need to change that uh, that whole entire like idea that like we need both parents to be important whether you're together or not but i definitely agree with uh, andy that vetting your partners before you have children is probably the best route to go but obviously uh sometimes you just have to learn the hard way or sometimes things like in my case are just completely out of out of your control you know um so i definitely just think that fathers need to be uh looked at as as like just as important as mothers if not more um because they really play a very crucial role that i don't feel mothers can fill um i don't really have the words for that but i mean i think you guys know what i mean like uh, there's certain things I'm sure you guys could go to your dads about that you couldn't go to your moms about, or, or like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you know just I mean? for like the roles for, are different, but like still both very important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kids need both parents. Uh, I totally will agree with that. Um, you know, they both have an impact on child development, and especially if you can see both parents resolve conflict in the home peacefully and not violently and and in a stable and productive way that's like if you want to raise a good kid that's the best way to do it um i think there's another really pernicious part of the culture as it stands today where you have people like Brittany renner and others that basically um will go on social media and and say you know if you want to get rich just have a bunch of different baby daddies and you don't have to work because you can just pop out kids and and that's what's become the incentive. Right. I and you know, I completely agree. And I um on the last episode of this podcast with my friend Courtney, we were kind of talking about um economic stuff and like interest rates. So um th- this sounds pretty far-fetched about the conversation we're having now, but I'll I'll tie it in. Um so when you think about the way that interest rates affect the way that people kind of think and spend their money, um, when interest rates are low, you're not encouraged to save, right? So you're encouraged for instant gratification, right? Go out and spend your money right now because it's not going to grow. So there's no sense in holding it. Just, just get rid of it. Um, but when you increase interest rates and you see your money growing, then you realize, okay, well, there's an incentive to save. So therefore, I should delay gratification. I should delay consumption today so that way I can have a greater payout tomorrow. Well, this kind of permeates the culture when it comes to also having kids and, you know, having a family is that, you know, it should be your relationship should be an investment, right? So um, Andy and I were talking a little bit offline. I'm getting married in November. My fiance and I have been together for four years and we already agreed like, hey, there there is no abortion. Like we're, we're going to get married. So, of course, if something happens, then, you know, we're going to handle it. But um, on top of that. Once again, if you have a partner, then this should be somebody that you care for. And if you're not ready to have a kid, well, then you should probably be careful about you have about the way you have sex. Because, I mean, let's be honest, there's so many contraceptives and ways to prevent a pregnancy now that it's pretty damn hard to fuck it up. And you have to try pretty hard to fuck that up. It kind of goes to a Trey's comment here. I'm Irish. What's contraceptive? <laughs> <laughs> not drinking Jameson for the night. Um <laughs> Yeah, that, that would be the best contraceptive for a uh, Irish. But to be fair, I like Jameson too, and I'm not Irish at all. <laughs> um, and he also said here, I think we were kind of talking about this a little bit earlier, but the state needs to disincentivize uh, children out of wedlock. That they just need to stay out of it, period. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. Like a big problem I have with it is that um, I'm not going to blame people that have kids out of wedlock. I don't think it's a good thing. Right. But once the state gets involved, you're basically putting yourself in a hole that you'll never get out of. 
and there's no chance like for redemption if one of the parents you know um like in kate's case may may catch a charge or something like that what is the path to redemption that's like there forever you can show that you're a good parent but the does the court really give a shit most of the time they don't <laughs> right well you know what's funny is that kate and i actually kind of talked about this um on the last episode she was on um, when it comes to like prison and stuff like that, they give you no, like you said, no path for redemption where there's no way for you to recover. Right. Um, when you create a, you know, someone that's been in prison for a while and that's all they know, and you don't give them an incentive to become better, or to want to get out or to want to better their life or don't give them, you know, that path to get there, then what else are they going to do, you know, other than just end up back in prison. So if you're not giving people the incentives or the ability to, um, make the situation better then it's like okay well why the fuck should you try if it's just all gonna go to shit anyways yeah and that's how you get a lot of fathers oh sorry go ahead kate uh, i was just gonna say okay so like my custody has been the same since when i first got out of jail to now and uh at our at my last custody hearing the judge um he actually like he was the judge that uh you know told me well you're not sentenced yet because my criminal case took seven years to get sentenced on so that whole time when i was out of jail uh they're telling me well once you're sentenced you know then come back and file okay well now i'm sentenced you know i'm serving my probation i have no violations or whatever uh obviously my community can see what i'm that i'm a good person they elected me mayor right like um i i, I do as much as i can to like prove like i'm a stay-at-home mom you know uh my my boyfriend's name is andy so um, he works and I take care of the kids and it's like, no matter what I do though, like I have gained no more visitation with my child. Um, we have like moved and rented places closer for years. And like, we own our home though. Uh, we like living in a small town. The court like wants everyone to be so cookie cutter and, you know, you have to live exactly like this. And if you deviate from that at all, then, you know, you're some crazy person. Like, you know, my political beliefs have been used against me in family court. Um, my, like just my parenting choices, my living, because I want to live in a small town. Like that's a bad thing. Apparently like so many ridiculous things that it's like, wait a minute, normal parents that are involved in this, they don't have to worry about this ridiculous stuff. Like none of these are reasons you would remove a child. So like, why is it a reason in family court that you would not get to have more time with your own child? You know, you get penalized. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, social worker and CPS standards are outrageous, and they love taking kids away. And if you look at oh, some yeah. of the stuff that CPS has done, they're probably the least responsible people with children, but yet they're allowed to take them away from your, from the parents. Okay, you know what? Uh, yeah. If, oh, I was just saying, like, they usually end up in worse situations when they are removed by CYS, you know, like absolutely horrendous situations that it's like, well, that wouldn't have even happened if they were with the parents. Like, no, sorry. So, yeah, you know what? That's actually pretty interesting because um, I you hear about CYS quite a bit. And um, I don't know what you guys think about this, but I'm sure you've heard people say, oh, well, I'm going to call CYS or they had CYS called on them. Um, I, I guess what are some kind of the horror stories that you guys have heard about that? Because I've only heard people just say, hey, we're going to do this. But I've never heard kind of like the the tail end, like what happens after that? So um, either one of you guys, um, if you guys want to take that and kind of detail out what could potentially happen, maybe what has happened to some people after calling uh, CYS or Protective Services. 
Go ahead, Kate. <laughs> okay, well, I can say, like, um, on TikTok, there's like a whole entire community of people that, that have been, like, wronged by CPS and CYS, depending, DFS, whatever it's called. And uh, a lot of that, I think, happens because these agencies are, like, they go unchecked, and they're not really uh, answering directly to the state. Uh, they're they're uh, almost, like private entities like they branch out into so many different ones so it's like they all get away with so much and things aren't double checked by anyone else but like you know maybe there'll be some some silly report and you don't want to answer your door you don't want to let them in your house well that's already that's just going to escalate because automatically they just assume oh you're hiding something or like why wouldn't you just let us in the house it's like because I haven't done anything, you know, like uh, there are just, there are situations where people have refused to even let them in and the, they'll just come back with the police with a warrant, you know, and they'll just take your children right on the spot. Like um, the the amount of stories, it's, it, there's so many, my, my entire inbox on TikTok is nothing but people telling me these horror stories of things that have happened. Like, oh, maybe they smoke weed or have their medical card or something. And like, they'll get their children removed for, for that, but it's okay to be on, all these other pharmaceuticals or whatever, like, you know, um, there's, then there's cases where, I mean, I personally have been involved with children that, um, were in terrible situations, like with abuse and neglect and drug use. And it's like, they just got handed right back every time. Like a two-year-old fell out of a second story window, like crazy things, a, a nine month old baby that overdosed. And it's like, and, and I tried like to report CPS before and the, yeah, that gets you absolutely nowhere. Um, it wasn't on, they didn't come to my house, but this family I had reported on, like I called the county commissioners and I'm like, dude, children are literally dying in our county because of CPS. And they said, we did an investigation. We found no wrongdoing. And it's like, <laughs> of course you didn't. Of course you didn't. Cause then what, what yeah, I'd be worried about a lawsuit, this county having to pay money. Like it's all, it's mm -hmm. all so connected. I've never, I've never dealt with them personally. I've heard a couple of horror stories and I've looked at some of their standards and some of it's like, Oh, you need to have every outlet covered and you need to have a rag <laughs> on like sharp corners of the table. And it's like, you're going to take the kids away for that. <laughs> it's like, uh, I remember being a kid and seeing those, uh, the like styrofoam pool noodles wrapped around door handles or something like that. So basically yeah. it'd be like, if you don't have that on your door handle, the next thing you know, they're coming batter, you know, using a batting ram down your door and taking your kids away. Or I don't know if may, they might not take your kids away, but that'll be a tick against you. And when you get to court the next time. Yeah. I'm like, I know even like, children playing outside by themselves that's been like reasons like even if they're in their own fenced in backyard their parent can see them from the window like things like so simple like in i i think it's idaho they passed a bill to pro like to protect parents from like making these decisions and not being like penalized for them uh it's called the pre-range parenting bill or something and uh yeah it's basically like simple things that were acceptable when maybe i was a kid or you guys were kids like that are to today would be considered you know harmful or neglectful it's like your kid was riding a bike without a helmet on or you know something so crazy or like out playing by themselves um you know and i'm not talking like super super little kids but like you know uh i don't know i feel like the state's just gotten out of control and every all of these cps and social workers are going to be your blue hair crazies 
<laughs> yeah, well, then, so if they see someone like you or I that, you know, you work on the back of a garbage truck, so you earn an honest day's pay, my hands are calloused from <laughs> turning wrenches all day, then they already have an inherent bias coming to our house to, uh, you know, pull them away because it's, it's you know, kind of, a, it's a people's job, right? And these people are probably more, you know, along the lines of, the, once again, the people who are in people who had crazies that want to see people like you. Uh, you know, us three, you know, jailed for our political beliefs. Yeah, that's, I mean, just think of the type of people that would go to school to become a social worker. (laughs) (laughs) Like they don't have talent and they don't, they can't produce any good or actual service. They work within the state and they do a lot of harm to to families. Mm So um, I guess one thing that I kind of want to hit on is uh, what do you guys think the solution for some of this stuff is? Uh, do you think it's maybe having um, – I, I kind of want to highlight some of Trey's comments here because we were also kind of talking about this. But I think this may kind of highlight some of the stuff um, like a family tax credit um, – basically where like on income tax, maybe you got a little bit more money for being married and having children. Um, is the solution maybe appointing libertarian judges or finding ways to perhaps nullify certain laws that affect the incentives for um, family court to drag out? Um, what do you see is kind of working the weeds out of this whole thing? Because it's, it's a real sticky mess and it's not like it's just the state. I think that seems to be the problem. It seems to be, also maybe some private entities that also have issues with this. Um, you know, I guess what are some options you guys see kind of going forward? I'll let you take it first, Kate. As the, as the system currently is, I don't know if there is a solution with it, like when involving the state. Um, I think I the one thing you said about the child tax credit, I think that, making it be uh married people instead of just uh you know single like because right now it's almost like an incentive to keep the child so that mm-hmm. you get that money as a single parent or whatever um so i think that might help but then i mean you just can never guess what people would do like if they'll just go and marry anybody just to go mm-hmm. and get it like you know because people are really i think just <laughs> crazy but uh I, I really just think people need to learn to take like personal responsibility for creating this child and, and really look at it like, okay, we created this life together. Like I didn't do it alone. Um, you know, you certainly didn't do it alone and we can't raise it alone. So we need to just like put whatever our personal beef is aside and really just deal with that. And I think if the government wasn't there to like step in and like do all these things for people that, we would we'd be forced to come to terms with like you know making things work out a lot easier than they do using the state to come in and threaten and scare people mm-hmm. like because when the threat of jail or you know losing your livelihood is what is being like held against you or like used as leverage like that's causing more tension between the parents that's not going to make anything easier uh it just it just makes it worse and complicates it more so i i, I truly think we just need to like abolish the family court system like it's horrible mm-hmm. I, i'm definitely down with abolishing the family court system uh, <laughs> i like it you know ideally you know this would all be privatized and you know there would probably still be 
custodial disputes, even if everything was privatized, but you would have more and better options and their incentive would be to, to do the best for the parents and the child. Um, practically, where we are now, I would like to see more states move towards joint custody. If the father is present at the time of birth and wants to be there, there should be, you know, automatic joint custody. Um, you know, I don't think the state can really do that well because they don't do anything well. Mm -hmm. But um, as far as like family courts go, I'd like to see them have uh, more accountability as far as just having a jury mm. in some cases and and um, having evidence meet standards of reasonable doubt and things like that instead of just uh, allowing hearsay or conjunction or whatever. I'm not a legalese expert, but there's a lot that gets allowed in and uh, family courts that wouldn't fly in a criminal court or any other type of civil case. Exactly. Yeah, you know what? That's actually good. Oh, just sorry. Go ahead. Burden, just, just changing the burden of proof. Like, like, uh, you know, like you said, like, that's exactly what it is. Cause like none of this shit would ever fly in a criminal case. Like they would never be able to like, well, you know, they said so. And you know, it just be up to one person. Like, I do kind of like the idea of like a jury too, or at least having just like have it be more than just one person. Cause like this whole, like you, and you're stuck with that judge based on where you live. It's like public school, like, Oh, you live in this zip code. So this is who you got, you know? And they're there until basically they retire. They <laughs> judges aren't like, like, at least in my small podunk area. And uh, you know, people could maybe say, Oh, well you could just vote somebody else in. The judges around here run unopposed every election and there's like nobody even trying to take that seat mm -hmm. from them. So that's like not even an option. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there is, you know, some conflicts of interest, too, with judges in these cases. We kind of hit on a little bit earlier, but, you know, I think there are things that could be done practically and realistically to move the needle in the right direction obviously i think we all want it privatized but i mean there are things that could be done and i think this is a huge problem when you're looking at a quarter of the children born in the united states now are born without or, you know are born into single parent homes and and if you look at any of the stats of how those kids turn out from single parent homes they're more likely to end up overdosing or in prison and, and so many other problems come with that and this just only enlarges the welfare state mm -hmm. that we already have. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I think a lot of people don't know is that actually I, I want to say it's I, I checked this years ago, but I'm sure it's not any different now. But uh, I, I want to say it was like back in 2015, it was 19 out of 20 of the last mass shooters were all without fathers. They're, they came from single mother homes. And once again, it's not to say that single mother homes are inherently bad, but clearly children. Developmentally need. Um, if you look at the way that men's and women's brains respond to different stimulus and to different activities, um, a lot of um, biologists, I believe, have figured out that our brains kind of work complementary to um, one another. So the way that women may raise children is going to be a lot more delicate. And then um, fathers are going to be a little bit better at like the rough housing and the playing, which may sound a little bit adolescent, ridiculous at first, but then when you understand that they're learning their bodies and 
how to operate in the world functionally and socially, um, that's a huge deal. And mothers and fathers are going to have different ways of teaching children these specific skills and different ways that children are going to need going up in the world. But if you don't have a mother or don't have a father, then you're going to be a little bit behind the, uh, you know, behind the bus in this regard. Yeah, I mean, kids kids need both parents. The kids who have both parents, if you look at any any metric of success, they tend to do a lot better across the board. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're, the situation that's been created with family courts that started in the 60s and 70s with, it really started under Kennedy, then Lyndon B. Johnson. Um, but, I mean, if you look at the, the single parent household household since this began, it's only skyrocketed. It's only taken off. So every solution that the state has tried has only exacerbated the problem. And, you know, to some degree, I feel like that's what they want to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Right. It's like a, a bulwark for the state, actually, because as you break the family unit down, then you no longer have, um, you know, tight knit collectives and families Whereas now, you know, nobody knows their neighbor. Nobody knows the people in their community. Um, And it doesn't matter if the mother and father are in the home. Um, So as you kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, Andy, um, this just grows a welfare state. So um, for me personally, I was kind of hoping with this podcast, and this is going to get pretty pretty grandiose for a second, but um, I want to give people the tools to be better people, right? So that way we can convince people to our ideas, if we want to spread the ideas of libertarianism, then you need to be a person worthy of influence. And then only that you're going to be a better life partner if you're Jack the Tan, right? That's what I always say to people, right? My pronouns are Jack the Tan. So um, if you're more physically fit and you're a more influential person and you're a better person overall, then that gives you the tools to be a better person in the relationship, which I think something that all of us should strive for consistently. And I think that's something that the libertarian um you know, party, if not libertarians in general, should really push for because um, this is something that we need going forward if we want to reduce the state. And yeah, lower your time preference when it comes to having kids. Like you wanna, you wanna have strong bonds with, with the person you're in a relationship with, mm-hmm. and be married before you have kids. Right. I agree there definitely. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, well, we've been shooting the shit for pretty close to an hour now. Um, if you guys have any closing thoughts or uh, anything else you want to hit on, uh, let's do it. If not, we'll uh, kind of wrap her up here. I just want to say I want the little libertarian party to start talking about family courts. I never see there's like a few libertarians that are, you know, in, in some of our circles that talk about it, but the LP does not have a stance on it. There's not really any uh, any literature that I know that's libertarian or from a libertarian perspective on family courts and this sort of deal. There's a few good books. Um, uh, what is it? It's uh, it <clears throat> forgot the name of it. Shoot, but it's like yeah, a boys. The Boy Crisis, that's what it's called. Yeah, okay, so that's actually by Dr. Warren Fail, and I'm glad you brought this up. Um, I'll let Kate go after this real quick tangent, but uh, Andrew Yang, of all people, has been the most positive response to Warren Farrell because Warren Farrell says that he's done a lot of activism um, trying to talk to the, uh, the Trump White House, the Biden White House, 
and none of them were really very responding. They, they didn't really respond to his kind of message where he focuses on the development of boys and things going on with children and, you know, also divorce court, family court and stuff like that. Andrew Yang, of all people, is the one kind of taking the charge on this. Like the Libertarian Party could run with this and this would be such a just easy pickings issue that whenever so many voters because it's it's literally just easy pickings people are people who are struggling in family court are really looking for some kind of representation and it's just insane to me that the libertarian party doesn't look at that and say holy shit that's a whole voter base that we could just grab in a day that really don't like the state that <laughs> are like All super right. yeah and and have that's been, like, one I of the most valid reasons everyone <laughs> I think I've said the same thing to everyone that will listen. Like we need to make this an issue. We need to make this like one of our main issues. And I know um, at the national convention in Orlando, uh, a group of dads uh, did try and and put like, you know, some kind of uh, parental rights plank in, um, but it didn't, it didn't pass. And that was, well, that was like during COVID and you know, there was a bunch of confusion with that. So I don't think they had the numbers, but um I definitely think the more people that talk about it within the Libertarian Party and we're like, we could definitely bring a lot of people in. I mean, part of the plank, I think it's like 1.6 or something of the Libertarian platform. It does bring up parental rights. We just need to really elaborate on that, I think, and make that one of the, the party for parents, you know, at all. Yeah, it's a, it would be a, an easy winning issue. I'm not a Libertarian Party member. I'm not a party member of I'm not affiliated with any party. But, you know, I would, as much as the LP pisses me off a lot of times, if they made a strong stance about parental rights, I would be a lot more or give it a lot more consideration of joining. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think kind of like we all said, I think that's a very, very just easy pickings issue that neither the Democrat party or the Republican party are really about um, from what I understand, Warren Farrell had said that the Trump administration seemed a little bit more warm to the idea than the Biden administration. Um, from what he had kind of said, the Biden administration, obviously they're going to be a little bit more appealing of single mothers. So they didn't want to get the guy who wrote the boy crisis on board because then it's going to look like you're taking a dump on all them, which is, you know, obviously a large voting constituency for them. So um, for the LP to just adopt a, uh, you know, a, were for parents' rights and abolishing family courts. It's it's such a winning issue. Yeah, the I mean, and and just I wish people understood. And this is no disrespect to single mothers, but when you replace the dad with government, that hurts single mothers and it hurts your family for generations to come. Absolutely. Like, so it's not it's not a knock on single mothers. It's just the way that the incentives are set up. Mm -hmm. Kate? Um, I, I feel like in my situation, I've watched the government almost like frown upon, you know, my children having this same uh, man. It, I've been with, you know, I've been with Andy, obviously a different Andy, but my Andy for years. So it's like, that's who my kids have known. Um, well, okay. So obviously Jarvis is his child, but Poston has, you know, known him since he was very young when he lost his father. So it's like Andy is the kind of guy that can teach him to work on cars. He's been 
you know, they ride dirt bikes together. They race dirt bikes together. They, my son's been welding since he was six years old. And it's like, he's mm -hmm. teaching him all of these things to actually be a man and like has stepped in, you know, to, to fill, fill this role. And it's like, it feels like the state is so against it and that they just like, they want these uh, weak men, you know, they, they, that's another, I think, incentive or motivation that they have. Um, it, with even with putting them with the mothers, you know, is for these boys to grow up and be weak and then just depend on the state in the same kind of way. Um, and that anytime someone tries to, you know, divert from that, they're like, oh, no, 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 we need weak men, no strong men. And like, and, and that's, it's really sad to see. Right, I absolutely agree. Um, yeah, if you guys got any more thoughts, um, throw them out here. And then if not, we'll uh, kind of rock and roll on out of here. I'll just, I just have one. I'll try to paraphrase this Thomas Sowell quote. Um, he basically says that um, government can even promise married families with children, uh, you know, shower them with government largesse, but they will inevitably find themselves on a collision course because an intact family unit doesn't need a third party decision maker. Beautiful. <laughs> Kate. can't top that <laughs> um i i don't i just I, I just think more people need to talk about the issue i'm so glad we did this and got to talk about this mm -hmm. because like i like andy said you know nobody nobody's talking about it like maybe a bunch of people on tiktok talk about it but like nobody mm -hmm. is here to like represent this and anywhere you go it's like nobody has an answer nobody has a way to fix this or they just don't want to touch it you know you want to reach out to your state reps or whoever they don't care they're all you know, typically married people that don't have these kind of issues. So what do they give a shit about it? You know, like, mm. um, but it definitely, uh, it's definitely something we need to keep being loud about focusing on parent, parent, ugh, I can't talk parental rights needs to be at the forefront. I think of the Liberty movement just in general, because we can't have the government keep making a, all these weak families, weak men and destroying us like from the inside. That's mm -hmm. what they're doing. Like they come into our little families, they destroy it. And then that that leaves people more dependent on them. And I think that's our greatest way of fighting back is building up strong families and strong relationships. Absolutely. 100% agree. Yeah, I completely agree as well. And that's uh, definitely something I kind of thought when the, uh, you know, the Mises caucus took over the Libertarian Party, I thought, well, they should start kind of having a little bit more of a uh, focus on, you know, fathers and missing fathers from the home. Um, I, I don't they know. Could take, they could take a tent to any family court and set up nine to five right, and just sign up voters. Are you tired of this shit? And they would have, <laughs> you'd get a hundred, you know, a hundred registered Libertarians in a day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all we all agree there. It's uh, it's such an easy winning issue oh, right. that um, they're they're just not grabbing. So um, yeah, um, Andy, where can everybody find you, dude? Uh, don't find me. If you're following me, unfollow <laughs> me. Make better life choices. <laughs> Fuck you, just cut it off too, Kate. <laughs> Um, I'm just, I'm Mayor Kate on Twitter. That's about it. That's the best place to reach me. <laughs> Kate, thanks for coming on again. Andy, it was awesome talking to you. And I'll definitely have uh, both you guys on again sometime. Um, 
I definitely think we should do this again. I think this conversation needs to continue to happen so that way we can kind of spread this message out and um, maybe encourage a little bit of institutional change within the Libertarian Party, hopefully. So, um, yeah, um, like I said, just thank you guys for coming on. Hopefully everyone got as much as I did out of this conversation. So uh, we'll cut her off here, and then I will see you guys on the other side. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.